NPR. This is the indicator for Planet Money. I'm Adrian Ma. I'm Waylon Wong. And I'm Darian Woods. And today is Jobs Friday. That's the Jobs Friday air horn, which celebrates the day of the month when we delve into the latest jobs report from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. The official title, by the way, is the Employment Situation Summary. So catchy, right? But you know, we look at this every month because, well, even more than the stock market or gross domestic product, the job situation in America really helps us understand how the economy is working for real people. And in the month of August, the economy added 187,000 jobs. Not too shabby economy. But weirdly, the unemployment rate ticked up a little bit to 3.8%, which, by the way, is still historically very low. So we've got increased employment and increased unemployment. Er? What is going on here? We will explain after the break and also bring you three of the most interesting indicators from the jobs report. Support for NPR and the following message come from Fisher Investments. VP Casey Ellis explains what their fiduciary duty looks like in practice. When you find a firm that is a fiduciary like Fisher Investments, you can at least rest assured that the recommendations, the client service, the fee structures, all of these sorts of things are really aligned with your best interests. Learn more at fisherinvestments.com. Investing in securities involves the risk of loss. This message comes from Apple Card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase. That's 3% on products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. All right, it's Jobs Friday. Let's go a little deeper and each talk about the indicator that caught our eye this month from the jobs report. Adrian, go. Okay, so for me, that would be the labor force participation rate. That is the percentage of people age 16 or older who are working or actively looking for work. And last month, the labor force participation rate was 62.8%, which is not only a slight increase from previous months, but also the highest that rate has been since the start of the pandemic. Never mind the headlines. People do want to work. This generation wants to work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and and this boost in the labor force participation rate, it explains why we often see this funny situation we saw last month, where the numbers for both employment and unemployment increased at the same time. And, and, And I will admit that, like, even after doing this for a long time, my brain still stutters a little bit when I think about this because... Well, I mean, it's kind of like how I have trouble spelling certain words. I can, like, I can never remember how to spell tomorrow, right? Does it have two M's or two R's? Yes, two T's, Adrian. <laughs> Massachusetts is my kryptonite. <laughs> that, that is another tricky one. And, you know, having simultaneously higher employment and higher unemployment is kind of like that. It is something that is easy to forget how it happens because it's kind of counterintuitive. For economists, the entire labor force is made up of two kinds of people. Employed people who have a job and unemployed people who are folks who don't have a job but are actively looking for one. 
So like we said at the top, roughly 200,000 people have joined that first category last month. They got jobs. And also last month, the data suggests about two and a half times that many people have joined the second category of unemployed folks. People who just a few weeks ago were not even looking for a job who are now actively on the hunt. To use a sports metaphor, they went from sitting in the bleachers to walking down to the sidelines, tapping in the coach on the shoulder and saying, put me in. So a lot of the increase in the unemployment rate is because more people are feeling encouraged to work. That's right. And that also is the theme of my indicator. So I looked at this one statistic in the monthly jobs report that has been hitting record levels lately and did it again in August. And that is the labor force participation rate for people with a disability. In August, that rate was 25 percent. That's a historic high. A year ago, the rate was 22 and a half percent. And uh, with disabilities, I'm assuming we mean people who have trouble hearing, seeing, uh, things like that. Maybe trouble with independent tasks. Yeah. And the BLS said it could also be issues with concentration or memory. And so any of these conditions would make it hard to do a lot of the jobs out there. And there's research showing that in times of recessions, like after the great financial crisis, people with disabilities are at higher risk of losing their jobs. And they're also slower to recover those jobs. Now, what's interesting about the pandemic is that we did have a short recession from February to April of 2020. But then as the economy recovered from that recession, this group of workers experienced fast or job growth than non-disabled workers. That is super interesting. Wondering, like, how much of that has to do with, like, the rise of remote work. Yeah, there's a lot of nuance here. So the overall number of people with a disability in the labor force has gone up. And one way to read that data is that it reflects people who are working but have new health challenges, maybe long COVID. But then at the same time, to your point, Adrian, I read a paper by researchers at Harvard that said that the pandemic created structural changes in the workforce that have really benefited people with disabilities, like the ability to work remotely. So the researchers said this big shift to remote work could be prompting employers to accommodate workers with disabilities, something they should have been doing all along. Okay, I feel like so that's two so far, uh, arguably positive indicators. I feel like we're on an unusual streak. We're gilding the lily this month. That's what we're doing. So much gilding. Uh, Not enough lilies. (laughs) I wonder, Darian, are you going to keep the streak alive? Yeah, so the number I was paying most attention to was hourly wages. Uh, The report shows that compared to last year, hourly wages went up 4.3%. And that means the average paycheck is about $34 an hour now. This growth in wages is a slowdown, though, from a year ago when we were seeing rises of more than 5% back then. Oh, that's interesting. So it's like earlier on, they probably had to raise wages a lot to get workers in the door, and that's moderating a bit now? It's moderating a little. And the thing I've been really curious about is that a lot of economists are actually celebrating this apparent slowdown, and not just the ones who could be seen as Bock-like economists who only care about efficiency. (laughs) Even economists who work for organizations championing lower-income workers have been happier with this kind of moderate wage growth. Economists like Heidi Scheerholz, president of the Economic Policy Institute. I am definitely cheering it on. It is so odd. Like, I have devoted my career to caring about the living standards of low- and middle-income workers, and yet... 
I'm very happy to see nominal wage growth come down over this recent period. So it is, it, that takes like a ton of explanation. Right. Yeah. That sounds like a paradox. It sounds like a paradox. And, and on the surface, on the surface of it, it sounds like a paradox. When you look in further, it's absolutely not. Heidi says, first, let's clean up our camera lens. We can see that workers are actually getting a better deal now. And that's because last year, while wages were growing, inflation was growing even more. So the average worker was falling further behind. And in contrast, today, the situation is brighter for workers. Their living standards are growing much faster because inflation isn't eating away at at their wages like it was before. So now we're seeing workers seeing real wage growth. But even when you account for this inflation effect, it can still kind of feel odd that economists like Heidi aren't wanting even higher and higher wage growth. And Heidi says that's because you can have too much of a good thing. One big concern among many economists was that it could potentially lead to a situation where wages and prices were like feeding on each other and started accelerating. And that's the the sort of dreaded wage price spiral. We didn't see that, but that was the concern. Right. That that wage price spiral, basically because it leaves nobody better off, right? Because while workers may get paid more, business owners may end up raising their prices more, And that just becomes a cycle where the only winner is inflation. Yeah, Heidi's much more comfortable with this moderate wage growth, where workers are seeing pay rises beating inflation at the moment, but not so high that it could fuel inflation further. So a little bit of a sweet spot? To her, it's a sweet spot. This episode was produced by Brittany Cronin with engineering by Robert Rodriguez. It was fact-checked by Sierra Juarez. Our editor is Kate Cannon, and the indicator is a production of NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, ShipBob. E-commerce logistics making you question why you started your business? Time to outsource fulfillment to the experts over at ShipBob. Get a free quote at shipbob.com. ShipBob. Listen to The Last Ride, the podcast investigating the disappearances of two men last seen with the same Florida sheriff's deputy. Join us for a new episode, a conversation with Marcia Williams before the 20th anniversary of her son's disappearance. It's okay for you to tell my story. If you don't know who you may be talking to, that could put their finger right there. Listen to The Last Ride, part of the NPR Network, coming March 13th.